Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All right. Thank you, Wendy. Okay. Kids, do we have EGC today? EGC, so third, fourth, and fifth, and uh, can go to EGC. First and second can go to Elevate, if you would like, and everybody else can hang in here as we finish out... uh, Deuteronomy and the Torah and seeing God as a covenant God with his covenant people. Um, My, uh, so this is uh, high school football playoff time. I'm going to move this. This is high school football playoff time, and my alma mater, St. Charles West, lost in the, I don't know, the regionals, maybe, uh, in Sullivan, and uh, I could... I could tell more, but I'm not going to. Anyway, it got me thinking about uh, when I played football for, for St. Charles West, and we had three coaches um, that gave some of the, for different reasons, gave some of the most unbelievable motivational speeches, like, ever. I mean, they were incredible. But my favorite, and I actually emailed my friend that this happened to this morning, and he already responded and laughed. Uh, my favorite um, uh, coach was uh, a man by the name of Roscoe Jennings. And that name tells you everything you know, you need to know about Roscoe Jennings. He was from deep in the heart of Oklahoma. And his sayings were legendary. But my favorite, easily my favorite, we were practicing, we were doing plyometrics one day, which was like a workout thing. And uh, my friend Ron was going around the square and accidentally bumped into the coach and he just said, sorry coach. And Roscoe grabbed him by the face mask. This is absolutely a a thousand percent true. Grabbed him by the face mask and said, you think that hurts me? Takes more than that to hurt a warrior, son. Boom. And we were all like, what just happened? And he just kept going. And he was bleeding, like blood running down his face. And it was amazing. And it was the stuff of lore. Like, it just, we, we would talk about it with everything. I broke my wrist, and Ron grabbed my cast. And he's like, you think that hurts a warrior? You know, and, and like, it was legendary. It was amazing. Um, that was Roscoe. Our head coach, he's still around these parts. And Roscoe passed away several years ago. Good. I mean, he loved us. He was a great guy. But that, like, paints the picture for you. Uh, our head coach... Um, Steve Stahl, he's still, he's still uh, around here. Coach Stahl, and I still have to call him coach. Coach Stahl to this day, like he had, 
he just, when he talked, his voice would just get heavier and heavier, and he would just make you think that the other team totally disrespected you. And like, it was your job to go out and earn that respect. And he had this little curl in his lip, and that when that curl, like the Elvis thing, when that got going, he had the iron jaw, he could make you do things that you shouldn't do. He was very motivational. We were playing Sumner one time. I've, I've shared this story before. But we were playing Sumner, and Sumner had, I was a junior, I weighed 160 pounds with the pads on, uh, and, um, and like six foot two. So I, like I, I was not much. And, uh, and they had a kickoff return where they would have five big guys in the front. You've got to have five guys up uh, within a certain uh, distance. Then they would have four big guys about halfway back, and then they would have two fast guys in the back to receive the ball. And the four guys would come together and form a wall. And then the two guys, one would receive the ball, and they would come up behind the wall and then, and then go from there. That, that was kind of how they drew their play up. Coach Stahl gathered us before the first kickoff, man. And he's, I want that first guy down there to take out that wall. Oh, oh yeah. And I got, and I was, sure enough, I was the first guy down there. And I flung my little body into this wall and did nothing. I didn't even get tangled up. My mangled body didn't even get tangled up in their feet. Like I caused no difference whatsoever. Um, now we scored early and often on them, so we had to do a lot of kickoffs. And what I learned was you could also go around the wall. Four guys is not that wide. You can go around the wall just as easily. Uh, so I learned a little bit of wisdom there as well. Um, a motivational speech. This is something that gets you amped up, gets you pumped. Um, and and to, to take the hill or win the game or go do the thing. The morality of the action is actually secondary to the execution of the action. Um, was taking out that wall the right thing? I would say no. Pretty confidently I'd say no. Um, but it just, it, motivation gets you to go out and do. But the morality of it is, is secondary. Uh, they get you pumped up and ready for a task. And uh, there are some wonderful motivational speakers. There are some wonderful motivational speeches. There's things that I watch. I still watch the, the, the Game 7 of the Stanley Cup. And I'm, that like gets, runs in my veins. And then I go mow the lawn, right? Um, and uh, for the last couple of weeks... We've been talking about this idea of blessings and curses, and today as we finish up Deuteronomy, we're looking at blessings and curses, what they look like in general, but this week as we close it out, um, what I want us to do is uh, not necessarily what does it mean to, to speak motivation, we do that a lot, but what does it actually mean to speak a blessing over a person or a people? What makes that distinct from just a motivational, a motivational speech? How do we speak a blessing uh, and, and as Moses speaks over the people of Israel? So the last fa uh, four chapters of Deuteronomy, um, they're actually the, the last four chapters of the entire Torah, the, book of, the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible. Um, and here's how they go. You have in chapter 31, you have the commissioning of Joshua and God's blessing of the mission. Uh, and then in chapter 32, uh, you have a song that Moses sings and teaches the people to sing. Chapter 33, Moses gives a final blessing over all of the tribes of Israel. And then chapter 34, Moses uh, goes up on the hill. He looks over into the promised land, and he is 
uh, he, is, he dies and he is taken to be with his fathers. And then jo- uh, Joshua takes the reins and the Torah ends. So we're going to kind of walk through those things and, and look at uh, how God speaks a blessing over his people. So we're going to start in chapter 31 with what we read earlier. Uh, and I'll just kind of walk you through uh, what would be great if you want to, uh, this would be great. If you want to follow along in a Bible or in an app or whatever, because we don't have all the verses up on the screen, um, we're going to walk through this. But I would encourage you, read through these passages. Read them and see how God is instructing his people. So if you, you can turn, get to, Moses, uh, get to Deuteronomy 31, if you want to follow along uh, with it in, in the Bible. And we'll, we're going to be going through it as a whole here. Uh, All right, 31, 7 and 8 says, Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you, uh, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So, flashback over all of Deuteronomy. We have the rebukes. We have the recounting of all that God has done several times. Remember God has done this. Remember God has done this. We have the promise of God. He will take you into the land. Be careful. Do not forget. Do not forget who it was that provided this. And then we go through the commandments and we have a lot of the commandments and obey and trust in the Lord. Then we have the blessings and the curses. All of that stuff wrapped up uh, in here. Um, Moses hears from God at 120 years old that he will not be the one to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. They will be led by Joshua. But God will indeed lead his people into the promised land. It will happen. It is certain. It is true. It will come to pass. And so Moses says this to God's people who are gathered. Then Moses says this to Joshua. And then God says this to Joshua, and Moses and Joshua both say it again to the people of God, be strong and courageous. In Deuteronomy 30, 20, God says he will deliver his people. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. We're going to get to the response to that in just a second. But then down in 23, And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give to them, and I will be with you. God's desire for Moses and Joshua, and then through Moses and Joshua to his people, is that his people would be confident in his provision. So be strong and courageous. Let's not be bold and arrogant. Be strong and courageous. God has provided. He will lead you. Two key words there. God and will. God will provide. He will lead you into the promised land. And they could be confident. And this should also help shape their obedience. To resist chasing after the other gods. Be confident in their God that has proven himself over and over and over again. Now, Joel brought this up a couple weeks ago, so we we keep repeating. We are not the people of Israel. We are not in this place. This 
Deuteronomy is, uh, Moses is talking to a people in a time and place, and we are not them. Uh, so he's telling them, be strong and courageous, for God will provide the promised land. Um, so then we say, well, what do we have in common with them? What's, what's this message then for us in our world? Ultimately, that we can be confident in the promises of God as well. But we also need to understand what exactly are those promises. What they are and what they're not. God's promise is not freedom from suffering. God's promise is not cultural ease. In fact, some would argue that God's promise is the opposite of cultural ease. Um, it's not worldly success. It's not that we would be happy all the time and get what we want or that bad things will never happen. I don't, I don't believe that those are what the promises of God are, necessarily. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying I don't think that's centrally what the, his promises are. Moses reminds God's people of what he has already done so they knew they could trust us. For us, for us, what has God already done that we can bank on, that we can rely on, um, and, and here's what we have in our day. What God has already done, he has been raised from the dead. The resurrection is our guarantee. I, uh, I struggle with doubt. I ask lots of hard questions. I read things, I look at things, uh, I see counter-arguments and uh, and I get frustrated by stuff. I've read books, I've listened to the arguments, I've watched YouTube videos and podcasts, and, and probably the hardest thing that I have to do on a regular basis is sit with someone, and, and I, this has been a lot lately, where I feel like I'm contending for somebody's faith that doesn't necessarily want me to contend for their faith. And that's really hard. I will listen, I will try to encourage, I'll try to give pushback when it's good and appropriate, and it's taxing, it's hard. What I want to tell you right now, I don't want to tell you what you should believe. What I want to tell you with as much sincerity as I can possibly muster, uh, I want to tell you what I believe. On my good days and my bad days, I am absolutely fully convinced that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the grave. Physically rose from the grave. There's just too much evidence. That is not only from a position of faith, that is also from a position of history. There's too much. It's overwhelming. So, when I struggle with doubt, that's what gets me. When I struggle with self-indulgence, and I'm like, you know what, sometimes just be easier. Even if it is true, just be easier to... This is what gets me. I am fully convinced that Christ has risen from the grave. And then from there, I have lots of questions. I have lots of questions. There's a few things that I'm like, hardcore settled on. But of that, I, there is no other rational explanation. I can't get away from it. And what goes along with that? What are the implications of that? Well, there's a lot. Um, ultimately, uh, the end of all things is secure. So I can 
be strong and courageous. I can hang in there. Because the ultimate enemy, death itself, is defeated. In Deuteronomy, God will ultimately deliver his people into the promised land. In our day, God ultimately delivers his people into the ultimate promised land, the new Jerusalem, the resurrection, life. And the implications of this are incredible. If you're in Christ, if you follow Jesus, our strength, our confidence, our resistance against sin, our forgiveness when we do sin, our hope, our joy, our encouragement, on and on and on, comes from the fact that Christ has physically risen from the grave. And, and the promise is, so will it be with those who trust in him. Uh, now, here's the deal with that. Death is a guarantee. It's a guarantee. We are, culturally, we don't know what to do with it. We do everything we can to avoid the topic. Um, and and, and we, our hearts should not be at all cold to it, but we just try to not deal with it on a daily basis. Um, death is a reality, and the beauty of the world that we live in is still tainted with sadness. However, for the follower of Jesus, death is not the last thing. I love the thought here by Frederick Buechner. The worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. The last thing is the best. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world, wells up from the rock bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? The last best thing is the laughing deep in the hearts of the saints. Sometimes in our hearts even, yes, you are terribly loved and forgiven. You are healed. All is well. God says to Moses and then through Moses to his people, be strong and courageous. My promise is certain. I am with you. And then in response to God's words against his people, we hear that they will sin and turn away. They will get into the land and they will get fat and drunk or as my pastor in Texas would say, they would get a little too comfortable sitting on their blessed assurance so God, as a good and loving God, as a good and loving Father, gives Moses a song to teach his people. And it's a song that they are to learn, and it's a song that they are to sing over and over again and remember to, uh, as a reminder to themselves and their children. And I don't know how you, this is a long song. There's several verses. First verse starts off really good. Then it kind of takes a turn from there. Um, but this is supposed, Moses writes down the law. The law is supposed to be read in the presence of all the people every seven years. Even to this day, uh, Jews will go through the Torah every year and read through it. But then he gives them this song in chapter 32 to remember. And it starts off really good. 32, 1 through 4 says this. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. And I have no idea how the tune goes. Um, May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass. And like showers upon the herb, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. That's good. That's a good song. It's a good opening line. Our hope is not in chariots and horses, 
It's not in techniques. It's not in the size of our churches. It's not how we're doing culturally. It's not in politicians or political movements. It's not in our cultural position. Those things matter, and how we operate with things, things matter, and how we approach them with wisdom, but none of them hold our hope. God alone is our hope. He alone is God. He makes the grass grow. He makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He guides the temperatures in their seasons. He is the maker of justice. He is the defender of the weak, the giver of all good things. He is great and greatly to be praised. And so let us be careful lest we confuse our agenda with his agenda. And let us not presume his favor on our causes. And let us not presume his grace and mercy over our sin. But may we stand in awe of his power and his mercy, his justice and his righteousness. The opening refrain of this song is beautiful. Remember how great is our God. And then it takes a little turn. Verse 5 and 6. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are crooked. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Moses kind of goes into dad mode here on behalf of God. Uh, if you can picture Israel as the teenager sitting on the corner of the bed while the dad kind of paces back and forth telling him, I love you, you keep not listening to me, how many more times are you going to press this, right? Uh, if, you, if you can remember back, and we need to make a distinction here, remember back when Cliff Huxtable, and Cliff, uh, very different from Bill Cosby, we need to let the record show, uh, Cliff Huxtable sat Theo down on his bed to confront his behavior. You remember this line that he said? I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Right? He goes dad mode. Now, parents in the room. <clears throat> you need to know there's a huge difference between not exasperating your kids and disciplining your kids. Teach your kids about obedience. Teach them, remind them often, give them the warnings. Even when you might be bad at it yourself, join in the confession. If you're bad, then say, I need it too. I need the reminder. And when they disobey, tell them, Give them the warnings of not listening. Give them the warnings of lying and holding it inside. Let, love them and tell them, I love you. You are my child. Stop doing that. Explain it. Why is it hurtful to them and why is it hurtful to others? Don't enable them by excusing everything they do. Tell them in love and give warning. This is, this is not a parenting sermon, but we, we see here God's warning to his people is from the love of a father. This is not going to go well for you. Um, again, quoting my pastor back in seminary, he always used to say, God is not your heavenly grandfather. <laughs> he doesn't like fill you with ice cream and sugar packets and then send you home at the end of the night, right? He has to love you. He, he loves you. He has your picture in his wallet. He brags about you at the soccer games to the other parents. And he must discipline you and help you grow. 
The Song of Moses reminds God's people over and over and over again, he is good, he is powerful, he is faithful, and he is to be trusted. And you continue to not trust him. Stop doing that. (laughs) And then he finishes the song in verse 43. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on all his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Again, the song was to be taught to the next generation and generations after that as words of life. Remember this warning. Remember what God has done. Don't turn away to lesser gods. And then, with the motivational speech of be strong and courageous and the song of God's power and warning of disobedience, Moses gives one more act before he climbs the mountain and goes to be buried with his fathers. And that is to bless the tribes of Israel, to speak and pray a blessing over them. Uh, A blessing is not just a motivational speech. A blessing is a reminder of your identity and a call to embody who you really are as God's creation and his, even his new creation in Christ. It's not simply to speak a blessing over somebody. It's not simply to get good stuff, uh, but it's a call to be who you were created to be. And in that, to receive and remember the full blessing that is ours in Christ. And here's the thing. When we believe the lies about God, we are left to try to validate ourselves. We are less, left to worship lesser gods. And we try to validate ourselves in some other way. Other relationships, other identities, wealth, success, power. Um, one that is very, very, very pervasive in our culture and even gets baptized in the church as righteousness is this idea of self-reliance. Uh, and that is not gospel. Self-reliance is not gospel. Um, uh, a dependence on Jesus is gospel. Uh, And then even things like religious affiliation as our righteousness or self-righteousness, our judgmental doctrine. All of these things are ways, irreligious and religious ways, to turn to lesser gods. And it's easy to forget, and it's easy to be fueled by hatred or by insecurity or by envy or by indifference in our motivation to operating with the world instead of being fueled by our new identity. For God's people here in Deuteronomy, their new identity was that This is the God of all gods. This is the God of the universe who came in, who found you, who built you up and made you beautiful and delivered you out of Egypt. And because of him, you have become strong and mighty and you are being delivered into the promised land. That was their new identity. So that you would be a blessing to the nations. Their goal was not to get them into the promised land so that they could get fat and happy and then sit there and fight their own wars. They were to trust God to protect them and deliver them and to bear his image in the middle of, of the known world. For the follower of Jesus, our new identity in Christ and the power of his resurrection is to be a resurrected people. It doesn't mean we're a stiff religious people. It doesn't mean we just sit up here and judge everybody who's not like us. Uh, it means that we, have, we are a forgiven and resurrected people putting to death the old self and all of the things where we take our coping mechanisms, where we take our insecurity and our fear and our anxiety and our rebellion, 
putting those things to death and putting on a new self, a resurrected self. Kindness, compassion, meekness, humbleness, love, patience, all of those things. Colossians 3 is a great chapter to read for that. And to speak a blessing over somebody is to remind them of who they now are in Christ. And what do we do now that we know who we are? Um, uh, Henry Nouwen, going with a lot of the mystics today, Henry Nouwen in Life of the Beloved reflects on it and he says this, that evening I recognized the importance, where'd I go? Uh, I recognized the importance of blessing and being blessed and reclaimed it as a true sign of the beloved. The blessings that we give to each other are expressions of the blessings of the blessing that rests on us from all eternity. It is the deepest affirmation of our true self. It's not enough to be chosen. We also need an ongoing blessing that allows us to hear in an ever new way that we belong to a loving God who will never leave us alone, but will remind us always that we are guided by love in every step of our lives. Moses is going to give this blessing in 33. I'll let you, if you want to read that he, the blessing he gives to each of the tribes, that's in chapter 33. But he's going to follow that up. He's going to climb up the hill. In De Deuteronomy 34, starting in verse 7, it says this. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Verse 10, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent to, uh, him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all, his, all the land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. But today... One has come that is even greater than Moses. One has come that is even greater than King David. All the culmination of the law and the prophets were about him. Christ the Lord. And he has been our mediator before God. And in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is our advocate. He is our hope. He is our reconciliation. He is our resurrection. So this is what I want to do this morning as we wrap up Deuteronomy. I want to pray a blessing over you as the people of God in the name of Jesus over you, the church, that we would find our hope, our rest, our mediator, our healing, our new life in Christ. And then your assignment for this week is to go, uh, whether it's in your gospel community, whether it's to a friend, whether it's a text, uh, or a phone call, or writing a letter. I think you can still do that. Um, we had a conversation last night about the price of stamps going up, and I'm like, how do you even find that out anymore? Is it on the web? Anyway, uh, I hate that I just got distracted there. Here's your assignment for the week. To speak a blessing over people around you. And to do that, you have to see them. You have to see them and call them to who they really are. 
call them to who they really are in Christ. Not just, we, we were on a tour this week, and this guy finished the tour, and he said, hey, I, I mean this with all sincerity. I'm not lying here. I hope something good happens to you today. And I was like, thanks. Very sincere. Like, I, didn't, I thought, you know, I thought he was going to say you were a great tour or something, but he just said, I hope something good happens. I thought, all right. Anyway, to speak a blessing over somebody, you have to see who they are. Call them to this new creation. Speak those words. Remind them that they are loved, that they are whole. <clears throat> so what I want to do for you, to, what I want to do this morning, and I want to finish this, I want to pray this blessing over you. And this is usually what we do at the end, and we'll do it again at the end. But I'm going to ask you if, if to receive this, if you would like it. Certainly I can't make you receive a blessing, but if you want to receive this, that you would just, where you are, you can hold out your hands, you can take a posture of receptivity, you can close your eyes if you would like. You can stare at me, uh, you can, what, whatever else you want to do. If you want to like block it and put it out like that, whatever you need. But, but um, where you are, if you just want to sit with a posture of receptivity, and if you would allow me to pray this blessing over you. Um, refuge, the God of creation sees you and knows you. And there you have not been rejected, but you are rejoiced over with singing. You are the crown of his creation. He delights in you. May God strengthen you to hang in there when you're tired. To rejoice when you are tempted toward despair. To sing when you are tempted toward silence. May the blessing of God give you strength to endure and to hope and to feast with God through his word and with each other when the enemy seeks to isolate you. May your life and your hope and your unrelenting unwillingness to give in to the tirades of the religious or the irreligious, may they bear strong witness to a hope not founded in this world, but founded in the resurrection of our King. May your self-awareness keep you humble and in need of God's grace, but may the overwhelming grace and mercy of Jesus lift up your head to walk in unshakable confidence. People of the resurrection, we serve a king and a kingdom whose reign is never threatened by the schemes of man, but stands and will in fact stand for all of eternity. And may this truth lead you into your homes, your neighborhoods, your schools, your friends, your jobs, as glorious living stories of new life. Refuge, be strong and courageous. Our God has gone before us, and in Christ, he will never leave nor forsake us. Be blessed. Amen.
building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.